This is part two of the David Price podcast. If you haven't listened to part one yet, that would be a good thing to do. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Simon Freethy, and welcome to Testing Tracks from Cyrus. On each podcast, I'll share with you some of the tracks we use to evaluate products during our development process. For whilst we can measure all sorts of performance parameters on the test bench, how the product plays music in the real world is the acid test. As well as being great pieces of music, to ensure that the enjoyment factor is still shining through, each track has a particular trait that acts as a good test on certain aspects of the system performance. Each week I'll be joined by a special guest and each of us will pick three tracks. For rights reasons, the podcast only contains small clips of the music, but links to the tracks from all the major streaming services can be found on the info section of the podcast or on the Cyrus website. Now, yeah, your next track. Uh, my next track is Red Barquetta by Rush. Fantastic. Um, which is, um, so I, I've, I've always loved Rush, um, really from about the age of 13 or 14, I think. Um, so all my friends didn't like Rush, so I had to pretend I didn't like it. I had to go to a record <laughs> shop, you know, buy my copy of Moving Pictures in a kind of brown paper bag and smuggle it back. Yeah. Because all my friends were kind of into Echo and the Bunnymen and The Cure and Susie and Vanshees, which I am too. But um, b- back when I was in, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a sort of apartheid system between art school rock and kind of heavy rock, wasn't yep, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rush were, were heavy. And um, although yeah. they were always, the, I thought, the most intelligent thinking person's heavy rock um, and, and technically amazing and, you know... Uh, very high production values as well. Yeah, um, I was very much in the Rush yeah. camp. Uh, yeah, a couple of their early albums. Did you have really a like. motorbike? Uh, no, I didn't. So most no, people no, I know wasn't, wasn't allowed that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so most Rush fans I know had motorbikes, um, but <laughs> and fell off them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great. Uh, it's a. I think this is the my favorite Rush album is Moving Pictures, which is from from where this song comes, um, and uh, it's it's fascinatingly it's a very early digital recording um and um which makes it even so it's going to be done i I don't know exact digital recorder but it could have been a 16-bit 44.1 or a 16-bit 44.056 depending on which system they were using uh so it'll make people very happy to know that on cobuzz it's 2496 (laughs) so i don't know where they found the extra bits or the uh you know uh, and upsampled it but um there you go uh you know you get some extra free rush (laughs) on cobuzz um so um but it's it's a a wonderful track i think and and just on so many levels um it's one of these albums not just the track but the album you can put it on a cheap system and it sounds good then you go to a mid-range, a mid-sort of price system, and often it just sounds less good. And you, you find that things like Dark Side of the Moon sound better. Yeah. And then you get onto a really good system, and then this takes over. This overtakes things like Dark Side of the Moon, and you realise that it's un, you know, the system's got much more detail, and and it can unearth all of the stuff that's on the recording. Yeah. And you begin to start hearing things again that the wrong with Dark Side of the Moon, you know. So um, it, it it's one of these tracks that kind of changes quite a lot on the quality of the system you're using. Um, basically, it's a really, you know, whatever people think about bits and 
you know, over sampling frequencies. It was a beautifully done recording, yeah. amazing production, Russian Terry Brown. Um, and I think they used, um, if I'm uh, well, getting wanting to get too muso, um, Neil Pert, who, you know, we are not worthy. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, he had a, um, a microphone taped to his chest, right. which was pointing at the drums, and it gave extra ambience to okay. the drums. So you've got this wonderful spread of drums on, on across the whole of the album, which, given that Rush, you know, you could happily take out Geddy Lee and, and, you know, Alex Lifeson and just listen to Neil Peart's drumming for 40 minutes, yeah. couldn't you? Yeah, you could. Um, it, it's amazing. Um, and he's so, I mean, you know, we could go to the pub and spend three hours arguing about the best rock drummer, but he's one of them, he's I He's got to be up there. Yeah, he's yeah. got to be up there. I mean, it's, uh, Spirit of Radio was my yeah. favourite. Yeah. Know? There's just some amazing drum work on that. It, yeah. it, it, it's amazing. And... You know, the, I mean, I, I, I love The Who, actually. The Who is one of my favourite bands, and I love Keith Moon. I love the way he uses the drums as a kind of solo instrument, yeah, almost. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that you end up listening to The Who and noticing the drums when you've got people like Pete Townsend also playing, <laughs> it's, it takes some doing, you know. Yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, Alec, um, Neil Peart is so much more uh, mechanical, uh, but, but in, a, in a sort of perfect way. I think, and he's he's not quite a human click track, but he's close. Yes, he is. He he doesn't muck about no. with the the timing, but, no. but he, it's it's so technically it is. brilliant. Yes, you know, his it, drumming. It is amazing, and, and and that just gives the sound a huge kind of propulsive underbelly, yeah. doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, which you can then enjoy all of the other different aspects of the production. Um, but uh, Red Barquetta was to me um, really interesting. I also liked uh, Neil Peart's lyrics. And um, so I think some of the sort of hippie prog stuff that came a bit before this in sort of 75, 76, 77 was, wasn't really my thing, but he was always an interesting lyricist, I thought. And, um, and this is a, um, uh, this particular song uh, w was him, uh, I think it was based on a, um, a novel, uh, not a novel, actually a short story that was in a, in a, in a copy in a uh, an issue of Road and Track magazine, okay. um, and it was uh, I think it was called a, a a nice morning drive by Robert S Foster, and it was imagining a time a kind of dystopian future where cars were sort of outlawed and you know almost outlawed and you had to have sort of everything super safety regulations and then this guy comes and goes into his uncle's old farm and finds this you know amazing old. Uh, 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 not too uh, far from the truth, really. No, it, it isn't really. No, exactly. And um, but it. So I love. I love it lyrically. The the theme and the playing is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and on a hi-fi level, it's just a tour de force of a hi-fi system. So what are you listening out for in particular? You know, what's your where's your yeah, critical ear going okay. with this one? So I mean, there's there's. Um, firstly, you've got obviously the timing again, and this is again. It's interesting that Crosby, Stills, Nash track was effectively live one take. Yeah. With vocals added. This is done in one take as well, the right. whole track, and it kind of feels like it. Um, so there's an amazing kind of syncopation between all of the instruments, uh, with with the drumming absolutely just underpinning it uh, uh, in in a sublime way. Uh, so the timing is is really important. And if again you find yourself looking at your watch halfway through the guitar solo, you know then you're not listening to the right system basically, or something's gone wrong. Um, but also, um, the 
it's very good for detail as well. So if a system uh, really resolves detail properly, you can really begin to hear into the recording and re it'll really unlock and open up the track. Uh, whereas a, a budget system uh, you know, or a bad system will just give you a very super superficial rendering of, of it. Um, and uh, you know you can also hear the sort of lovely sound of those kind of ride cymbals and the hi-hats and all that stuff. It's all very good for treble testing. And then Geddy Lee's bass, you know, is is very good. Um, not it's a pretty dry early '80s recording. It doesn't have an awful lot of bass. Yeah. It's quite flat and dry. Yeah. It, as per the sort of uh, power station rock sound of the '80s uh, and the late '70s, but it's still, um, uh, it, it still has a, a lot of movement in the bass and you know again if it just sounds like it's plodding then the system isn't working so you're looking for that kind of drive and rhythm yeah uh, as well as a sort of tonally rich canvas yes. yeah i think it again it, it's not as tonally rich as the uh the, the uh, crosby stills nash track yeah. um there's crosby stills nash track is obviously analog recording yeah, and yeah. a lot of all the i imagine that it was a valve desk and all, all the rest of it um, this is much drier and cleaner and quieter, um, but but still there is uh, a, a kind of tonality to pick out of it, and you should be able to hear a dry tone. So again, it's interesting. You know, if you're on a if you're listening to a system, you play the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and then you play the Rush track, and they sound like roughly the same tone. Yeah. Then it's Something not resolving wrong. tone. Yeah. yeah. So um, you should okay. be taken away to a different place. Let's um, see if we can be transported absolutely. back to the mm -hmm. 80s. So yeah, David, that was that was great. Um, as a, I think with with rock tracks like that, it's it's a fine balance, isn't it, for a, a hi-fi system to get that capture that sense of energy, drive, rhythm, and excitement to really get you into that sense of what what the yeah. musicians were trying to get over without kind of going over the edge into that. Oh no, that's a bit. Oh, I don't yeah. want to listen to that. And uh, and thankfully because it's my system <laughs> well, I thought well, I thought it did that quite well if you do yeah. say so yourself, <laughs> yourself exactly <laughs> yes but I know it, exactly and you know I, I thought that was uh, uh, that was interesting uh, listen to me on on the system you've got here in the dem room um, I was um, there's another thing here even though the the track is quite compressed um, there's a lot of dynamics or sort of micro dynamics as, as a horrible phrase that hi-fi reviews use but basically um, Neil Pert's um, work on the snare drum uh, and sometimes he's hitting it hard sometimes he's hitting it very hard yeah. and it gives a kind of accent to 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 really push the the song along at certain times and it's quite subtle and you know and there's all this other stuff going on you've got the backing synth glides and the sort of cranked up guitar and all the rest of it so it it, it you know you need a good system to kind of uh, sort of uh, you know, kind of cut through all of that, yeah. uh, and and this r absolutely did it, and um, uh, it it really has a it's a dry sounding album, 
It doesn't have an awful lot of deep bass, certainly not, and the, the treble isn't hugely open and, and extended, but um, a lot of it's happening in the mid-band and, uh, or the upper mid-band as well. And uh, yeah, I, I think it worked very well here. And I quite like the way it's kind of produced, because you said it's sort of, you know, there is this sense of space and, and liveness to it, and you can hear you know, the, where, where, the, where the people are, and yet overlaid on that, you know, you kind of suddenly get this drum roll going yeah. across left and yeah. right because the production guys yeah. decided he wants to do something a bit different with that one, which I, I really kind of like. It's he, kind of he loves his pan rolls, never never misses an opportunity to get one in. But yeah. absolutely, they're all you know, it's all beautifully mic'd, and, and the drums are amazingly mic'd, and all the different elements of the mix coming in at different parts. It's yeah. not quite. Um, you know, uh, it's not quite George Martin Beatles style, but it, it is definitely a stereo effect going on there, isn't yeah. there? Um, and so it, it works very well, even though it's not a kind of classic hi-fi demo track. It, it works very well to kind of help you sort the wheat from the chaff, I think, in terms yeah. of systems. Yeah. Uh, so I, I often use Rush, you know, and it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it uh, <laughs> you know, to review. So. And that's a great track off a great album. Yeah, no, great. I really enjoyed that. That was excellent. Thank you very much for that. Um, so now, now on to my last track. As I said, I was in a real quandary about you know what what to put up, and I thought, well, I could I could put up something that's a sort of classic demo track that we've used in the past. And I thought, no, David's bound to have heard all of those before. And I thought, well, I could use a classical piece, but then I thought, mm, maybe not. So I've I've picked something that. You probably will have heard, and again, you probably don't use much as as a test track because it's a Michael Bublé okay. uh, number. It's uh, all of me from his Crazy Love album. Yeah. Uh, most people usually pick the um, the first track of the album, which I now can't remember what it is. It slipped my mind, but it will come back to me at some point. Uh, what What I like about this is again, it, and you could say, well, hang on, Simon, you've picked two jazz tracks, but I would say this is this is. Um, a, a big band yeah. piece more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's this it's this brass. How does a system do brass? I always think brass is a really difficult yeah. thing for a system to do because you want it to sound punchy and attacking, but you don't want it to sound harsh and, yeah. and over the edge. Exactly. There's a thin line between clever and stupid with yeah. brass, isn't yeah. there? And yeah. it's going to sound, it's going to rasp, it's going to have a kind of natural kind of timbre to it, but it can very easily on quite a few hi-fi systems I've heard yeah. start turning into uh, sort of, uh, you know, almost as a torture, almost as bad as waterboarding. Yes. Can't yeah. it? It can be quite nasty. So. so this has got a couple of these kind of real kind of impactful brass bits in, but then there's a, a, there's a sort of solo that the, the band does, which is done mostly with the sort of the sax and the, and the, the other brass instruments, and it's at quite a low register for all those instruments. And it's quite breathy, and on a system that's not really resolving a lot of detail, you kind of really lose a sense of of the rhythm and the melody that they're playing because you know there's not a huge dynamic yeah. range in it. So I think that's the other test for me in this track is how well does that yeah. that little solo bit bit come out. I think you'll 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 see what I mean okay. when we get into it. Yeah. And also at the very beginning, you've got this completely false overlaid cafe scene because they want you to think like, <laughs> he's playing on a band in a cafe jazz and cafes yeah exactly <laughs> and whilst it's a bit naff in its recording it's interesting because how well is it set in the atmosphere you know yeah. it clearly isn't him sitting yeah. on a cafe stage but they're trying to set an atmosphere yeah. and how, what what do you get what sense yeah. of atmosphere do you get from the system so um 
a Michael Bublé track okay. for you. Why not take all of me? I can't you see? I'm no good without you. Take my lips. I want to lose them. I take my arms. I never use them. Your goodbye. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, enjoyed that? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to light up a cigarette now and <laughs> have a whiskey. <laughs> it's great. Well, I mean, what I love about that, I've forgotten actually how wonderful Michael Bublé's voice vocal is mm. on, that, on that track as yeah. well. But it's got it, a great voice. Yeah, but it's the, it, it's, you know, a big band has got lots and lots of different instruments yeah. in it and yeah. being able to resolve a lot of that, that detail so you get that real sense of, wall of sound mm. but you know lots of separate bits all all playing individually but coming together is what i like about yeah that. i mean it, it's the, it's got to be ferocious but restrained ferocious hasn't yeah. it and um and the, the the brass stabs on that are really powerful and impactful but they don't sound harsh yeah. particularly um but still you can get that timbre from from the brass the sort of you know, dripping in harmonics, as they say, this sort of really natural sound coming out of it. So, I mean, that's a great modern recording, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's not. It's about it's two thousand five, six, something, somewhere yeah, around there. Modern so. by my standards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my my the most modern track <laughs> that you'll soon find out that I've got in this is nineteen eighty six. <laughs> so, this is virtually last year for me. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I mean it, it, it's great and and it sounds uh, it's very wide spatially, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, yeah. Nice big crunchy double bass going on underneath. Um, it's wide band, it's wide field left and right, and it's got depth and Michael Bublé's sort of hanging around up somewhere uh, in, in the sort of heavens, isn't he? Um, it's a it's a great classic hi-fi test track in a way, but it's 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 also uh, you know it's just fun. It's yeah. Just tap you tap your feet and but I get think, and that's what I like what I try and pick in a lot of these test tracks is you know as I sort of explained in the intro it, it's got to be an interesting piece of music yeah. because it's you know in the same way that you were talking about your, your Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young number it's the atmosphere it's yeah. the emotional energy it's yeah. got to take you to a different place yeah. you know are you getting that yeah. emotional kick from it you yeah. know, are you sitting there saying actually I'm really enjoying this yeah. you know? I think it's so true I mean there's so many systems or individual components I've reviewed over the years that just do really well um, on, you know, you kind of break it down in terms of sound staging or low frequency handling or, uh, you know, smoothness of treble or image placement or whatever. You know, you can just click through everything and it does really well, but it just leaves you cold. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's... Um, uh, that's something that, that that has to be there. I think it was uh, interesting. I was yeah. I was at uh, one of our retailers the other day, and uh, I, there was a pair of speakers I'd not seen. And he said, and I said, so how are they doing? And he said, yeah, no, they he says they bench really well. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He mm. said, well, when you measure them performance-wise, they're fantastic, yeah. but for some reason, they're not kind of doing it in the yep. listening tests. And yep. I think that's exactly why we spend so much time here doing all this tuning and listening yeah. because. We can get products that bench really well, yeah. but they've got to perform. Yeah. You know when you listen to them. Absolutely, and, and this is you know my first rule of hi-fi is that manufacturers' listening rooms 
sound terrible. Um, and, and, and that's, uh, you know, but actually this doesn't... Yeah, you this... can come again. <laughs> so I have to quickly say now before uh, I lose my train of thought, this sounds great, actually. Yeah. This room sounds very good. It's pretty neutral. It doesn't sound like we're in an anechoic chamber. You know, the electronics, uh, I can't remember what brand they are, but they're <laughs> lovely and clean and open. And, uh, you know, the Spender speakers are working well in their spendery way, yeah. uh, being very even-handed, and but 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 pretty open and, and revealing. And, yeah. and, you know, with a track like that, you can really hear all of that coming together yeah. very, very well. So, yeah, that was that was fun. Good, good. Glad you enjoyed that. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Right, now, uh, the last track of the day is your final number. Um, That's right. You said you were into techno pop. Yeah. Uh, and this is a classic from that era. Yeah, so, I mean, it, this is sort of... Um, Kraftwerk are the, uh, you know, um, the sort of El along with Elvis Presley and the Beatles, and, you know, they're one of the sort of creators of the genre. They didn't create electronic music from scratch, but they took it and turned it into a commercial proposition that, you know, touched many millions of people rather than just a few sort of hippies in their bedsit, uh, you know, um, getting very experimental. Um, and I'm a huge Kraftwerk fan. The first band I ever heard live was at the Oxford Apollo in 1981, Kraftwerk, um, which is more of an amazing thing than I realized at the time. It was, it was amazing, but I'd only got one concert to, <laughs> to judge it by, you know. Um, but it was a great, uh, yeah, they're a great band, an amazing band, really interesting. And um, all the Kraftwerk fans were going, oh, uh, what, what's he, what's, why is he mentioning Technopop? Technopop is from Electric Cafe, which came out in 1986, in November 86. Um, and, you know, if you're a Kraftwerk obsessive, then that might be a bit of a weird thing because everyone goes, well, it's got to be, uh, you know, it's got to be um, Man Machine from 79 or Computer World from 81. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, uh, maybe a, the early ones as well, if, you, if you're a hardcore person. But this one, to me, um, I do like the album. It's not my favorite Kraftwerk album. Uh, and it's not actually my favorite Kraftwerk track, but it is actually a brilliant testing track. Brilliant. Um, and it's probably, I think, one of the best recorded um albums or pieces of music from the 1980s, uh, which is saying a lot. Yeah, that is, um, that's a big claim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, it was originally, when it originally came out, it was mastered by Bob Ludwig, which, you know, indicates a certain seriousness about sound. But Kraftwerk were always serious about sound. But this is, um, this is the first kind of modern era Kraftwerk. So they, they were moving into, they, previously they'd made all of their, uh, their music pretty much by by musician by instruments which had been effectively built for them or yeah. built by them yeah and they started to use uh some bought in uh instruments for this so um you've got uh, the emu emulator sampler uh the story goes they spent years going around the world picking up samples to patch together on this album and you've got fm synthesis you've got yamaha digital synthesizer sounds popping up on this for the first time and the 80s was, you know, early 80s was all analog, kind of wishy-washy, squishy sounds. Yeah. Then you started to hear these really cling-clangy, bell-like sounds, and that was basically the Yamaha DX7, which was the first, you know, mass widely used um, digital synth. Yeah. And it's got a sort of clangy, bell-like uh, freshness to it, sparkle. 
Um, and actually, on the Annie, Annie Lennox uh, album, I think they're still using DX7s or variants of that, you yeah. know, even 10 years later. Uh, maybe not exactly DX7s, but the same sort of bloodline of, of synths. Um, so it's a modern-sounding album for 1986, um, and, it, and when it came out, it sounded like nothing we'd yeah. ever heard, yeah. really. It was like my brother and I were massively into Kraftwerk, and we'd uh, waited, I think, five years for this thing to come out, this album. And Did you queue up overnight? Uh, pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, so, you know, it was supposed to come out in about 83, I think, and Ralph Hutter, who's the sort of big uh, force behind Kraftwerk, apparently had a bicycling accident, right. which apparently was the reason why it then took another three years. It must have been a bad, <laughs> bad serious accident. Serious accident. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, an amazing album, Electric Cafe is the album, and um, it's, it's, it's got a, an amazing clarity to it, a sort of absolutely sort of crystalline clarity to it. It's got um, incredible dynamics. Uh, it's... It is compressed, but it's not massively compressed in the sort of modern... In the, I mean, the, the Medusa album, Annie, Len Annie Lennox's Medusa album, is heavily compressed. Yeah. Um, and this isn't, uh, but it's still compressed compared to, you know, uh, maybe uh, s s some other stuff from earlier. Um, but it's just right. It's very widescreen. It's got a big bandwidth. It's got crunching bass. It's got sparkly treble. Um, it's got Lindrum sound, again, which was an amazing sort of 80s, uh, you know, drum synth, um, which which sounds quite distinctive uh, with a really fast uh, transient attack. Um, and um, so it's got everything. And But to me, the, the, just very quickly, I won't waffle on too much, the, the two sides to it that I listen to, firstly is the rhythm. Yep. Uh, once again, we're back to this rhythm thing. Um, so it's got quite a lot of kind of cling-clangy sounds as a metal bashing sounds. Yeah. And there's no melody. So you think, well, why? That's just boring. The point is, if the system can resolve timing properly, you get sucked into the rhythm. So uh, it works very well You know, from, from that point. It, it will quickly tell you whether a system is working or, mm -hmm. it, or isn't. And secondly, the, the texture. So it's a relatively warm recording in some ways. It's got a lot of... Um, different wide variety of sounds and some sounds are very cold and hard and clanky and steely others are very warm and uh, i think this is like a synclavier i'm not sure if it's on this track but there's kind of warmer synth sound as well okay. um so basically um you're not just listening to something that sounds the same so when you put it on a system if it, it if it all sounds like it's been you know that like the color balance has been turned down to black and white the system isn't working right, properly. Right. Okay. So you're you're looking for this this tonal dynamic range. Exactly. Really. Yeah. Exactly. A, a perfectly put tonal dynamic range or tonal range. Um, so from cold and steely and clanky and very hard and visceral to sort of soft and fluffy and warm, uh, and it has it. And on a good system, then you can hear it. Right. Uh, on most modern digital systems, I hate to say, not not this one, um, <laughs> you can't hear it, and it sounds like you've just a color TV that you've turned the color down a bit. Monochrome. Yeah, yeah it sounds monochrome. So um, rhythmically and tonally, um, to me, are the things that I listen to. Okay, great. Right, let's see if our system is up to the task.
Music non-stop. Techno-Pop. Synthetic electronic sounds. Industrial rhythms all around. Yes, really interesting that. David, I mean, I have to, I've not heard that track for a long, long, long time. And I did have a quick listen to it, knowing that you were going to bring it up yeah. today uh, on the in the car. And as soon as we put it on on this system, I've realised that that was a complete waste <laughs> of time. Car system uh, wasn't very good. Oh, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, you suddenly hear all the things that you were talking yeah. about uh, beforehand are suddenly coming through. And, and I can, you know, yeah, that, that wonderful tonal contrast yeah. that you're getting is pretty amazing the the interesting thing i find about electronic tracks is that you really have to know that track to use it as a reference yeah. piece don't you because yeah because there's nothing natural that you're referencing to so yeah. you must have of you must have heard this many times on many di many different systems yeah i i've you know i've used it an awful lot um over the years and and you know even a long time before i was reviewing hi-fi as well um, you know, when I'm trying to, when I was trying to set up my own Lin name system in the '80s, you know, with my vinyl and my Lin cans and stuff. Yeah. You know, then you 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 change your cartridge and put put your new moving coil cartridge in, put this track in, and and you could sit very quickly hear the, you know, the difference, the changes. Um, it's a great test track. I mean, it's a great track anyway, but um, it's a kind of a, a sort of Krypton Factor style physical workout for a system. And um, it's particularly good at um, telling you what speakers are doing as well. So, um, you know, you, you could have, we've got spenders here. If you had PMCs, for example, you'd be getting quite a different feel, I think, to the track. Much more muscular, more physical, more transient focused uh, and dynamic focused, um, but less textural. You'd have a less nice uh, sort of, uh, I think, uh, accuracy of the sort of timbre of the the, the various uh, samples, especially the kind of um, uh, sort of keyboard uh, parts. Um, yeah, some beautifully warm sounds yeah, in here, I thought. Yeah. And I was quite surprised at yeah. the amount of warmth yeah. that we managed to get through. Exactly. I mean, it's got that incredible kind of lacerative sort of steely bite yeah. to the percussion, and it's got warm warmth as well. And I think the Spenders did very well in resolving the contrast, actually. Um, uh, they, they didn't quite have the sort of ever the last one tenth of the nine tenths of the punch um but you know they, they they do well in other areas whereas other speakers that have more punch don't necessarily do well so they're a great review it's a great review track for speakers you know for anything really but um it, it certainly makes you know uh gives the system a hard time and um there's a lot going on and uh, it, it's uh, very much a case that you can sit there and listen to it, and if it doesn't pull you in, suck you in, then it's not working, and you might as well give up and go home. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, yeah really good track to end on that. Yeah. yeah, I was really impressed with that. Great. Good. Mm. David, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to come up and, and see us today. Really enjoyed chatting with you about your, your take on systems, which was yeah, really interesting to hear from that sort of reviewing critical point of view, and I'm sure our listeners would have appreciated the slightly different stance that you've uh, thrown at things. So thank you very much for that. Really enjoyed, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And um, it's great that your tracks that you chose sort of balanced mine out, yeah. you know, so actually we covered all the bases yeah, or most of the bases, yeah, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. there's good planning, you see. That's why I always ask, oh, ask yeah. in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't an accident. It wasn't, not quite an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Excellent. it's great.
So uh, brilliant. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you. you, everyone, for listening. And uh, if you want more details of the tracks, they will be either on the info section of the podcast or on the Cyrus website. See you again next time. <laughs>